Escape from Plan A. Ah, Moino. Um, Arigato. So, Moshka, she did violin scooter, no? Ah. こうなるんだ。あ、これ全部自分で作ったの手で当たり前だよ。信じらんない。バイオリンは Welcome, listeners. Uh, this is a special midweek episode between me, Oxford, and Diana. Hi, everyone. Hello. And this episode, we're going to talk about a movie we both really like. It's actually my favorite movie. And I think I got Diana to watch it recently. It's A Whisper of the Heart. It's a Studio Ghibli movie made in the 90s. And uh, I mean, we did this as a midweek episode because I don't, it, it's not one of the you know, really popular Studio Ghibli movies. So if you haven't seen it, you might think, well, this episode is of no interest to me. But you'd be wrong. There's so much good about this movie that can apply to to everyone. But, you know, just in case, um, you know, we, we made it a midweek. So anyway, um, so Diana, how did, how did you uh, end up watching this movie? Um, well, I think I... <clears throat> watched one or listened to one of your podcasts about um just like asian cinema in general and i asked you guys you know like do you have any recommendations for movies that are female focused and you recommended uh whisperers of the heart as like one of your favorites and i was like oh that sounds interesting so i watched it and i really really liked it yeah uh, they, that was our episode with the uh, cinema escapist guys uh, hey guys if you're listening to this um, yeah, I mean, it, it is my favorite movie. And, and the way I watched it, it was totally by accident. I remember, I, I must have been maybe in elementary school, maybe early high school. And I think it was just on the weekend, like, like a Saturday night, I was just flipping through channels. And I, I think this movie was like in the middle. It, it, I, I just caught it in the middle. And it just looked kind of interesting. It looked like a Studio Ghibli movie, but it's so different from the most famous ones, which are very fantastical, um, like adventurous in a, a magical sort of way yeah wait so I, uh, you you saw this on on tv in canada yeah it, it was just randomly playing one weekend and i watched half of it i i don't know i didn't have cable growing up it, it must have been one of those like public channels i don't know why it was on because as <laughs> yeah, i said so cool it's not that well known and um I, we i watched it all the way through and i was like oh this is really good i gotta watch the whole thing and the interesting thing about this movie is, like, I liked it at first, but it was not instantly my favorite movie. But over years and years, I would watch it at least once a year. And it's it's like every time I watch it, I just recently rewatched it on, on my flight back from L.A. And it, it, I don't know, it, it just gets better. Uh, it, there are very few movies that can do that. Most movies degrade a little every time you watch it. Uh, but this one actually uh, keeps getting better. Yeah. And... All right. Uh, I think we should actually describe the movie uh, so people will know what it's about. Um, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? Uh, I think you should do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this movie is is all about this uh, young girl. She's in elementary school, about to go into high school. 
and she lives in Tokyo uh, in a suburb. I think it's called Hama. It is a real place. And she is very much into reading and writing and kind of like fairy tale slash fantasy stories. And it, it's a very plain story. Like if I describe you the story, it'll be something like this. It's about a young girl who loves to read and write and wants to find out if she can write a story of her own. And that's that's kind of like her big uh, quest <laughs> in the movie. And when I say it like that, it sounds kind of boring, right? But yeah. oh, you got to watch the movie. It's so good. And I recently watched Castle in the Sky. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it, which is one of the earliest Studio Ghibli movies. And I never liked it that much at first. And I rewatched it and I don't... I didn't. I realized I didn't like it that much. In fact, none of the really um, fantastical ones, like Howl's Moving Castle, or like Princess Mononoke, I don't really like them that much. I do love Spirited Away, but Spirited Away is also if you cut out all like the 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 weirdness of it all, it's actually I think a similar coming of age uh, a story that's less reliant on explosions and world domination by villains and things like that right yeah i feel that way about uh howl's moving castle too like at the heart of it is just like a little girl uh seeking seeking love mm-hmm. yeah uh so um as i said one, one of the things that that's so good about whisper of the heart is just how down to earth it is like it's set in tokyo but it's not even in you know, one of those like fancy glitzy districts. It's just a suburb. She just lives at, you know, like a very regular home with very regular parents. She just goes to school. She's like, she's smart, but she's not some super genius that's, uh, you know, wrestling with her preternatural gifts or anything. Like she's very good at what she does, which is uh, writing. Um, she, one of the things she does is she trans, well, translate's not the right word. It's like she takes English songs yeah, but it's not like a direct translation. It's kind of like um, like it, it, like there's like a, a song like "Take Me Home, Country Roads" by uh, by John Denver, and then she turns uh, translates into Japanese, but also in a way that's still like poetic, uh, which yeah. I guess is still translation. If you look at translations of novels, nobody really does a direct one. You have to put in your own interpretation. Right. Yeah. Poetry is really difficult because of that. Oh yeah, I I do. N- Actually, there, when I was uh, trying to improve my Korean, what I would do is try to write subtitles for my favorite dramas, just for myself, not for any websites. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, because there, there are certain words in Korean, especially kind of like casual insults, <laughs> like, like nom, uh, which I guess kind of means um, like bastard or, or it, it's not a good thing, but it's thrown around very casually. Uh, even from like parents to kids, but yeah. then if you translate it to English, it looks really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like uh, a mom or dad uh, like saying "fuck you" to their own kids, <laughs> like <laughs> actually saying that. And you're trying to find the right word without sounding like archaic, like you're writing Shakespeare, maybe. Right. Um, like you fool! Like nobody talks like that, right? <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah, like there's so many shades of meaning. And just like, um, like different, like stat, like, uh, I feel like a lot of, I think Korean is this way. Like there's a lot of like status that can be, mm-hmm. you know, communicated, um, like relationships in, in speech that doesn't really, 
uh, come out in in English. So you just like have to say like so or like in in like some <laughs> weird you know like British accent to like convey that kind of tone <laughs> even. Hmm. Uh. So anyway, back to the movie. Oh, and I I think this is a good way, good place to say that you should definitely watch it、uh, in Japanese with English subtitles、oh, yeah, yeah. because it wouldn't even、oh, yeah. make sense because it's just like oh I'm I'm translating this song that's already in English and I'm just like putting oh yeah like, <laughs> it doesn't even <laughs> yeah that would make no sense yeah um yeah so back to the movie、uh, the main character her name is Shizuku、uh, Shizuku Sakashima. Or, or it might be the other way around. Japanese, I always get confused、uh, which one is actually the family name and the first name. But so she's this girl, and she has to deal with, you know, taking the exams, getting into a good high school.、Uh, but her main preoccupation is with reading and and writing. And she eventually realizes that every book she takes out of the library, there's the same person has、uh, read the book before her, or like right before her, or recently. And it's a boy's name, so she's like wondering, oh, who is this boy? We are based on the books we read. We're basically the same person, and it turns out it's a classmate of hers whom she's very annoyed by at first because he's kind of he like teases her,、uh, you know, because he likes her. You eventually realize, but that's like his thing. And、um, she eventually gets to know him and his grandfather, who operates, who owns and and runs this old like some kind of antique store. And it turns out this boy、uh, named Seiji is training to be、uh, like a violin maker,、um, and because of that, she is inspired and, and also kind of、uh, worried by the fact that somebody she knows and and likes and respects、uh, seems to know exactly what he's doing, whereas she doesn't. I mean, she、uh, you know likes to read a lot, but she's never written anything of her own, and and etc. And as I said earlier. Uh, her, her, like the big,、uh, like dramatic point of this movie is when she decides to challenge herself and gives her like an X number of weeks to write a story of her own while Seiji is is away in Italy、um, on some like program、uh, for like beginners to learn how to make violins, and yeah, and she writes the story at the end, and and the more and it's, it's like this great. Uh, burden on her, and when she's finally done, she's like happy, but also sad and afraid. And and then the whole moral of the story is,、um, just trying something like that is is such a huge first step and development. And you can't expect to be good at something right away.、Uh, but once you start that journey,、um, it's, it it might take you ten years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever. But the fact that you take took that first step is is probably the most important step. And yeah, that's pretty much the movie. And as I said, it,、uh, it doesn't sound like much, right? But it's—I mean, you should talk about why you like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so, there's so many. Okay, there's so many like little things that just like when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, this movie was made for me because like, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, first of all, that cat、uh, Muta. Like, oh, I love that cat. Oh, the little、so、fat、good. cat that like takes her on the journey.、Um, she like,、uh, I think she's just like on a train and she sees this like cat and he's so fat and he's just like wandering around and then she follows him into this neighborhood and this cat's like so you know confident and just like walking around like、um, he's he's like walking on top of these fences where the dogs live. 
And the dogs are like freaking out, and she's just like, eh, I'm gonna walk here, no big deal. <laughs> and that's how, like, like the cat is uh, Seiji's cat, and like it leads her to the the grandfather and like her whole big adventure. And it, it's kind of、yeah, like, kinda... A, oh, it's kind of like a Murakami ish in that way, you know? Oh, uh, uh, oh, yeah, because、uh, yeah, Murakami always has cats in his stories. I mean, I, I recently watched Burning, and, and a cat is. Very, it's quite central to that、yeah. that movie as well and story, I assume.、Um, yeah, but but that cat is such a in Korean. There's a there's a word called "bumpon sropta,"、uh-huh. which means I guess kind of like shameless and pompous. Just, yeah, it's just somebody who、uh, it just has like very thick skin, thinks they're the shit, and but not like in a cocky way. It's just the way they carry themselves. And it in this cat who has like many names. You, what you find out about this cat is、uh, he goes. He has multiple families. I think this is why he's so fat because because he gets multiple dinners every night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like so he goes by、yeah. Muta Moon.、Uh, he's very his name, but just this yes. And the funniest thing about that cat is just how the, it's not like some cuddly, cute cat. It's like very standoffish. Often has this like haughty expression on his face. Like he doesn't give a shit what. Uh, Shizuku is doing or thinking, <laughs> and it just makes him even more lovable. Yeah,、um, I'm gonna call him Honey Badger. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's the like that's my the only like adjective I can think of to describe him. He's a Honey Badger cat because he don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, like when when you say like the little things, there's so many totally right about that. One of the things I noticed just on my most recent rewatch is. Even the parents who don't have a lot of screen time have so much personality from the little things they do. Yeah.、Uh, for instance,、um, you know, you know, like Shizuku is often in, in like kind of a scatterbrain when she's in a rush.、Mm-hmm. Like、uh, often she sleeps in, and and then she's like trying to get ready all the time. Often her sister like chastises her, like, "Oh, you slept in again.、Uh, make sure to take the lunch and whatever." And you find out her mom is exactly the same. In fact, she's <laughs> even worse. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a scene at the beginning where her mom is on a rush. And Shizuku is actually now the kind of more rational, calm one, telling her mom like where she left her keys and stuff. And I thought that was so cute and and well done.、Mm-hmm. And the dad is so I mean the dad is such a nice、uh, figure. He's, he like、um, there's this key part near the end of the movie when the parents find out that you know Shizuku has has fallen down her class ranks because she's so busy with her writing. And he just very calmly tells her、um, you know if this is something you want to do you know just try hard at it.、Um, With like this tacit understanding that once you're finished it, you're gonna go back to your studies, right? But she, he's not some hard ass who's like, no, you're gonna stay in your room and you're just gonna like go back up all the places you lost in this class ranking, and and you see this in a lot of times when he's like、uh, w- with his wife and he's like smoking, she's like stop that, he's like、uh, yes dear, and he like, stops smoking. <laughs> Yeah, I really like the parents.、Um, like the dad when he says, you know, all that stuff. Like, and the the sister, like she comes up to、um, <clears throat> the older sister is like, you know, like he says, do whatever you want, but he like he actually does, you know, really want you to do well in school.、Too. Yeah, like、uh, Shizuku's older sister says that to her, like, yeah.、Um, but the dad does it in a way where Shizuku comes to that conclusion herself, which. Is much more effective than feeling it beaten into you. 
Right. Whether like literally or figuratively. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like really refreshing to see uh, dads like like Asian dads <laughs> portrayed like that. Because uh-huh. in, the, in the West, like an Asian guy is always like cartoonishly bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, it's always like some Asian dad meme, like, oh, why, why did you get a B plus? Why not an A or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And I also like how that the mom is just like also working and studying. And yeah. like, I feel like most cartoons that I've seen, the mom is just a mom. Like she has no other role in life. And to just mm-hmm. see like the parents be full people in and of themselves is like really cool too. Mm-hmm. And that and and because the reason uh, I really like the fact that the story is so grounded is that you do get a sense. Um, I, mean, I don't know how accurate this is of of you know like a young Tokyo student's life in the '90s, but you get you, watching this movie uh, at least gives me some sense of that, which I don't get from uh, uh, you know a movie that involves giants and flying uh, carpets or whatever. Mm-hmm. You get to see. Like, like some of the biggest challenges in her life is uh, she has her best friend, like Yuko, has uh, various like boy problems. Like there's a guy who likes her, but she likes another guy. <laughs> and yeah. this is of central concern to her, as it should be at that age. You know, what yeah. else are you going to worry about? And just to see just like re- these regular young Japanese kids go through that is, is uh, I think, very... It's something you don't see, especially as an Asian-American. Mm-hmm. Um, either you only see like non-Asian characters go through that or if there's an Asian character he or she is the only Asian character and and everybody else is non-Asian but to see everybody Asian and this presented as just like regular people is I thought was special yeah I felt like it was very slice of life it was just like if I was in you know Asia like oh you know I could kind of picture myself being a person in that movie just like how would Mm -hmm. how would like uh school be for me how would like friends and you know just like growing up like relationship angst be like oh like it's exactly like this it just like feels very real even there's this one part in the beginning where her friend is like oh i have to go to like these extra like test prep like college test prep cram school yeah yeah like whatever the fuck cram school is but i was just like (laughs) that i totally know what that is you know (laughs) like i could see myself being stressed out that like i'm gonna be five minutes late to cram school yeah especially in america or you know outside of asia where young asian students are portrayed as basically robots it's uh it's it's like a it's like non-asians uh dealing with their like self-esteem like whenever they see that all these asian students are doing so well in all these um international competitions whether it's like math science or whatever the way to cope with it is oh well but they're you know they're they're not they don't have fun like us they don't fall in love like we do they're just test-taking machines right and i'm yes there are problems with asian education but these are still people and you watch a movie like this and i think as an asian american you see that so clearly right yeah, even like when Asians are creatively talented, you're just like, oh, well, you know, like if they're like a piano genius or something, you're just like, oh, well, you know, their parents force them to practice like five hours a day. It's like, no, like some kids <laughs> just are interested in the creative arts. And, you know, like even if they are practicing like 
uh, eight hours a day on something, you know, they're still falling in love. They're still getting stressed out about random things. Like, like, look at the Tanya Harding movie, you know, like they would literally mm-hmm. never make a movie like that about Michelle Kwan, even though she probably has like a much more normal American life, you know, than her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was watching, I forgot what kind of video it was on YouTube, but it was a clip of this movie. And one of the funniest comments I saw there was like, I, oh, I wish I lived in a world like this. But then you think, you do. This is the most <laughs> plain, like, unfantasy world there is. This is just like a regular suburban kid. And, um, that you know, that's why I always prefer stories that are more plain because I, I do think it, it dignifies everyone's life. Um, yeah. So that we don't all have to think you have to be a Jedi or a superhero or a chosen, oh, fucking chosen ones. I, I hate that narrative so much. Um, <laughs> you can just, you know, there, there is, everyone's life is interesting to them. Yeah. And like, if uh, again, comparing it to like Castle in the Sky, like Castle in the Sky is all about this uh, mysterious floating fortress city that can like destroy the world. That is to me much less interesting or even stressful than the idea of trying to find out what you want to do in your life and maybe knowing that but not real not thinking that you can you're talented enough to do it like that like thinking that you're not talented enough that is much scarier to me than some death ray that will obliterate the the universe like well whatever (laughs) yeah well that's a thing that a lot of people don't necessarily understand about storytelling is that like all that garbage, you know, like the death rays and the castles, those are just props. Those are just like the background for the real story. And the story is what happens to the characters and their relationships and how they progress and change. And that can happen with like the mi- like the most minor incident, like just a guy changing his tire, thinking, oh my God, I'm like lost in the middle of the desert and I've never done this before and then just like to him actually doing it and realizing that he's more capable than he actually is that's a more satisfying story than like some shitty um remake of Star Wars or something yeah I I think the problem is the, the whole like cosmic um peril thing is used as a crutch yeah. cover up when there are actually no real stakes like if you don't care about anything in a story uh you know a, a billion people could die and that just that's just uh, a random fact and uh i mean like like a there's a real life example of, of like a movie where it's almost like a guy changing his hair you know the old italian movie the bicycle thieves mm-hmm. yeah i mean that is an example of an ex- extremely simple story about a father who like loses his bicycle and needs to find it so he can work to support his son yeah. It's incredibly moving, incredibly powerful, um, much more so than like 99% of any uh, so-called epic movies out there. Right. Yeah. And like um, another thing is like the relatability, like the ability to empathize with the main character. And like if you have somebody who's like a super, superhuman person, yeah, they're always going to be doing amazing things and going to be like winning whatever war. But it's just like how how real is that? Like do you care and like if you don't care like it's not really a story that person is not really a character like the complexities and just like kind of like like the imperfections and the foibles are what makes a person whole and a character whole and interesting to watch or to see yeah and and i think what makes this movie so good is that shizuku is that type of character she's yeah exactly. such a great character 
uh, you know, not easily described uh, because you might think, oh, she like she doesn't want to go to like she doesn't want to spend time studying uh, for like the high school test and would rather be a writer. But she's not somebody who just wants to you know run away from home and say like fuck you to her parents. She really cares about them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just trying to prior. She's trying to work out that balance that everybody tries to uh, between certain greater like social obligations versus your own personal desires mm-hmm. um she is like you know, very smart um but she also uh is, is like isn't unrelatable you know she gets crushes on 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 boys she um you know likes cute fat cats <laughs> um and yeah she she's just so amazing and i think i think she's my favorite heroine out of all the many like uh young miyazaki or like Studio Ghibli. Um, right. Oh, actually, I should correct myself. This is not a Hayao Miyazaki movie. It was made by, and this is so sad. And I think also it plays a small part in why I love this movie so much is the guy who directed this movie is a guy named Yoshifumi Kondo. He's actually, I named myself after him. Like, uh, in case people don't know, Oxford Kondo is not my real name. I, and so I, when I was choosing my name, I, I chose it because of this guy. And this was his first and only movie as a director. He died of some illness, like aneurysm or something related to like work stress. Wow. And he was supposed to be one of the uh, like next great Studio Ghibli directors, but he died uh, very young. And uh, I mean, Miyazaki was involved. He was a screenwriter and um, he like drew a lot of stuff here, but it was not directed by him. Wow. That's really sad. It would be yeah. so cool to, you know, like see what he could have come up with in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, another just a, another random fact. So I like to just look at because there's like 20 plus Studio Ghibli movies. So I just like to look at rankings of 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 like where this movie falls because it's often completely forgotten or just say like adored by a select few. And I think a very mm-hmm. good sign is so there's this uh, TV critic for the New York Times named Mike Hale, and. Uh, I and a bunch of other people at Planet, we hate this guy because <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's half Asian. So they always trot him out whenever they need like some snide remarks about like Asian and Asian American entertainment. Like for instance, when uh, Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park famously left uh, Hawaii Five O over the the pay dispute, mm-hmm. he said like, "Oh, they, they were they weren't they aren't worth the extra money. That it's better to let them go because they 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 don't contribute that much to the show anyway." He also in some like end of the year awards or something, there's this Korean drama called Signal, which I never watched, but I heard it's really good. That was like made some like the New York Times, I think, um, best, I don't know, international TV series or whatever. And he said, well, this was clearly an affirmative action choice. Yeah, I guess, you know, trying to suck up to Asian viewers or listeners. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, what the, what the hell do you know? And the reason why I'm so happy, um, is that he put this movie near the bottom of his list? So like, <laughs> well, that figures. The person who knows shit will, would put this movie at the bottom because he he said something like, "Well, this isn't like very classically Studio Ghibli because it's it's not it's not a fancy type of movie." He's like, "You totally missed the point." Um, whatever. And uh, but there are other uh, sites like Film School Rejects who put this in like I think put it in the top three. So it's like, okay, these people know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's it's so true to life in so many ways. Like, just, like, me as a creative person, like, I 
feel so like close to uh, the main character and just like her struggle to 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 produce anything, you know? Exactly. Well, I was just like, uh, it, it comes in like uh, dribbles, and uh, it, it it just kind of like builds from like a very small thing, and I really. Thought it was cool how it started with her just like translating a song and being so um, insecure about her ability as a creator that like even that she wasn't able to share. But then she did, and people liked it, and that kind of gave her more and more courage to do bigger and bigger things until she finally like writes her story. Spoiler alert. That's how it ends. It's like she finishes <laughs> basically a novel, right? It's like she hands um the grandpa character. Yeah, I, yeah it's like it's a it's quite long. Um, and they never quite say what type of uh like uh novella or a novel or a short story. It never says, but it is quite long. Yeah, right. And like I remember um after she's like no i need you to read it right now and tell me what you think and i'm just gonna huddle in a corner and <laughs> be terrified of your opinion <laughs> and yeah. then after he reads it she's like don't tell me i know it was horrible i know i'm like the worst yeah, and she's crying and it's it's so moving and then and actually uh, so the the old the seji's grandfather uh and he says this line which i actually never noticed it it might have been because i watched other translated versions um and maybe didn't have quite this line but in this one i had he says something like oh you've worked hard uh, you're wonderful and he when he said that it was and then she just like breaks down in tears because she's been so stressed out for the past few weeks writing this and i thought that was incredibly moving just to have somebody uh you know tell you like just like just acknowledge the effort you put in and and validate all that was yeah it was very uh very touching Oh, and he's not lying either. He's saying like, "This is um, the thing that you created. It's like a gem that you just excavated from like the ore of the earth." And you know, like you have to keep working at this and keep editing and polishing it um, to make it the creation that you want. But this is the start. Like you've started on your journey, and like I think that is like. You know, like in any kind of creative or sports movie, there's like some 10 minute training, mon like 10 second training montage. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, I had no idea how to box. And now I'm, you know, like <laughs> the world champion. It's like, no, it yeah, takes I'm the heavyweight champion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it takes so much time. It takes so much effort. There's so much like, um, you know, two steps forward, one step back, like just ebb and flow of like creative energy that like you just um just even in that movie ha hearing somebody say like you know be patient with yourself be kind to yourself as you're creating that's like so good to hear and like you never mm -hmm. hear that you never hear that anywhere else yeah i, I think there's uh, a lot of pressure uh to be like an instant prodigy uh you know if you don't get recognized when you're by the time you're a teenager you're washed up um so you better be real good real fast or or just give up when you could work uh all your life there, and when you say be patient it could mean like be patient beyond death like you, you create <laughs> yeah. something great it's a good chance that uh, you won't get recognized in your lifetime and if you are that committed to your art or whatever that you think that's worth it uh, i just want to leave behind something that maybe one day get recognized mm -hmm. um just having someone say that's okay you know that's okay uh is it, such a 
such a reassuring message. I think that's a good way to, uh, because you said uh, you're a comedian and a writer, I like to write as well. I think this is a good uh, part to just talk about how this movie affected us personally. Because a lot of the reviews I read are by people who love to write, because it, it's the most direct. I guess there are people who might uh, love making violins, see <laughs> like <laughs> Seiji, and, and uh, be directly uh, inspired by him. But a lot of people who like to write, want to write, and they see this movie and, and they identify as you and I did so heavily with Shizuku. But I also think that you don't have to be a writer or any kind of any creative industry. It could just be anything that you want to accomplish but are afraid of taking the first steps, yeah. which is almost everything worth doing. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's what, what makes this movie so powerful. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about just like your first struggles with, with trying to create something and all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I've always wanted to uh, write, but I never really um, felt like I could. So, uh, you know, out of out of high school, I actually um, became a biologist like and I and I went all the way through um, a Ph.D. program in biology. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, like along the way, even in high school, you know, all of my English teachers were like, you're a really good writer. And like my friends were all like that. And actually, um, in grad school, my even my professor was like, asked me to write, like help him uh, with all of his publications and grant applications, because he was like, you're really good at this. And it seems like you like doing this. So you should do this more. But like, for me, it was so hard to uh recognize that about myself and i think a big part of it was just like a fear of failure like what if i if i tried to do something and it was terrible then i would just feel so embarrassed (laughs) and so like and then like uh you know it was like it felt like kind of like a secret part of myself that you know maybe maybe i'm like this but if i try and fail, then I know that I'm like worthless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that yeah, kind that's of such feeling. Such a burden, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I felt like I needed to do something valuable in my life, or like to do something big, or contribute to society in a in a in a meaningful way, because like I think I had like a lot of lack of self confidence because mm-hmm. I was always like you know the Asian kid in the mid in the Midwest and nobody gives a shit about you, you know, but my, I'm just curious where, where exactly in the Midwest, Nebraska. Oh shit. Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) it's just like, uh, it's just like a really isolating place for Asians. And, um, I, I think I kind of like was socialized to feel like, Oh, well, you know, people will, um, value me for being smart, but, really little else and so i was just like oh i have to do something you know like sciency or like that that's my that's where my worth is and to Mm -hmm. to to recognize something else that i want it, it was hard and it felt like it felt like foreign like i i wasn't used to that but it also felt like i wasn't entitled to that you know in a way. Mm-hmm. So it, it took a lot of just trying lots of things and not 
uh, actually realize, like realizing I don't actually want to do any of this crap. I just want to do this thing for myself. And like, that is more important to me than any, what anybody else thinks. Yeah. But I mean, like, and, and that's like a constant struggle. Like I, it's not like, oh, now I'm just like really prolific and writing tons and tons and, you know, whatever. It's more like, okay, today I'm going to write like 500 words if I can. And, um, that's, that's where I am. Like I'm still, it's like, it's still a constant struggle. Yeah. I, did you come to that realization like during your PhD, after your PhD? Um, in bursts. Like, I think during my PhD, it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I don't want to do science anymore. I'm, I don't want to be in academia anymore. But uh, like, I, I talked to one of my professors and he was like, you know, what, what do you like to do? You know, do you want, do you know what direction you want to go in? And I was like, the only thing I can think of is I like writing, uh, but I can't make a career out of that. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of like how I always thought of it, like, oh, I need to do something else. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. And like, like I did go and take like a research um, admin job after that. But then I kind of gravitated more toward like writing things there too. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, like, I think gradually, the more I uh, did things for myself, and the more I was on my own, just like as a person, the more I could just be like, okay, like this is, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to try to do it and just uh, keep trying until I can do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I, th I think in, in the movie, like Shizuku comes to that same conclusion, but she's like 12 or something. And I think yeah. <laughs> like when you, when, when, when you imagine her as, as an older person, I think she will at that time, she'd probably feel very, uh, she'd probably think it was very funny that she thought she was behind when I think most people, um, come to that conclusion much later in their lives. Definitely. So she's like, far, far, far ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, it's a very yeah. mature movie. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I like watching it. I was like really relating to her, but I was also really jealous. Like, <laughs> oh, you, you got to live a normal life. You just got to be like a normal girl and like, like individuate and like come to these realizations like as a teenager. So not fair. Yeah. I mean, like as for me, I'd always, I always like to write. I remember like, like, in th like, you know, in like third, like second and third grade uh, for just exercises for that to improve our like vocabulary and spelling. Like our teacher would put up like the twenty words of the week, mm -hmm. and our our job is to write a story using as many of those words as possible. And I've had so much fun doing that. That's um, really cool. But, yeah, and but as I got older, it became more and more of because when you're a little kid, you don't think of uh, tying this to your identity or your self worth. It's just something you enjoy doing. There's it's that innocence you have as a kid. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, you realize. Uh, oh, maybe there are like these certain writers I want to become or certain careers I want. And then you realize you have to measure up to those people. Yeah. And I remember in high school, there were like a, a few stories that I started with like grand ambitions for it. Because I, I read a lot of like Victorian literature uh, on my own at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, in the movie, like Shizuku, even in the summer, like her like big exciting thing is when she goes to the library. 
to borrow mm-hmm. books. I yeah. remember uh, when I was like in, in like younger, like a younger teenager, there was like this big uh, library in Vancouver that has a lot of books, but it's kind of like across town. So every like, I don't know, every like three or four weeks, maybe like once a month, uh, my mom would drive my brother and me and it'd be kind of like, oh, this Saturday is library Saturday. And we we'd make a whole day trip out of it. We go there like eat like Burger King <laughs> and and borrow all these books that we read for the next month. And that, that to me was was like a big day. Um, wow. So I, I can relate to that so easily. But especially in college, like high school, you're thinking, oh, you know, what? I don't really have time for this. Uh, I, I'm trying to get into college, but college, when I get there, I'm going to have the freedom to do whatever I want. But then you get to college and then you have all this freedom. And, and in fact, that actually made it more difficult because now um, it's like, put up or shut up right and plus yeah. you have so many peers a lot of them especially if they're from like wealthier backgrounds these kids had like gone to like writing camp since they were like 10 or whatever drama <laughs> camp they their school I, re- I remember these like these rich kids their schools would have like film festivals where like high their their high school student population would make their own short films oh my and, god Fuck and those my guys. my school my school, and it's not like I, it's not like I went to some dilapidated, struggling school. I went to a pretty decent school. We didn't even have an auditorium, you know. So, it was just another world. And when you're in that, so like in, in college, I kind of shut down. I didn't do a lot of writing until later in college because I was afraid to compete, and I didn't want to realize, at that age, that maybe I wasn't cut out for it. That I, that you know, it's like the if you ever seen the movie Amadeus, where like Salieri laments. Yeah, God that's another just, one of God, my favorite movies. <laughs> Yeah, I love that movie too. God, uh, he laments, God only gave me the desire, but not the talent, <laughs> which is like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Um. So, so you put it off. You're like, okay, maybe I should just uh, read more or experience more before I actually sit down and do something. Uh. But then you realize, well, you know, how when should I actually start? And it wasn't actually until I, I graduated college and I, I went to live in Korea for a couple of years and... It was kind of like being in my own bubble because I didn't know a lot of people there. I was, uh, I, I removed myself from the whole like American rat race or whatever. So uh, I was with, my parents were living in Korea, but it was still a foreign country to me. And there I just like started sitting down re- and writing like, uh, you know, like uh, 500 to 1,000 words a day. And that's when I actually finished, you know, like the writing projects I'd always dreamed of finishing. And once you do that, you'll realize it, you know, I, I, I can do it. It's like, I guess, finishing a marathon, realizing uh, you're not going to die like 50% of the way through because of a heart attack. Yeah. And you can kind of relax more. And, and once you know you can do it, you don't have to like constantly worry that you can't do it. That's how I, I mean, that's how I decided to tr- actually try writing is, um, well, I had to write a dissertation. And I was like, well, if I can do this for some bullshit that I don't even care about, like <laughs> I should be able to do this for myself, you know. Uh, uh-huh. so, um, but yeah, I, I think another thing is that we're not really um, we're not really taught to like value our own experiences, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, I I would not necessarily think to write a story about a 12 year old girl who wants to be a writer even though that is my experience because I would think that's not worthwhile to write about like my experiences as a person are not valued (laughs) by society and therefore like 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 who would want to read this who would want to make a movie out of this yeah especially as as like an Asian American Mm -hmm. I think we are or uh, taught from within our communities and from the outside that 
uh, you your story doesn't really matter until unless you can somehow like graft it onto something more important. Yeah. Uh, because we're like the eternal sidekick, right? So just uh, just e- even something like uh, you know, like the Japanese internment or or something that would be more stereotypically important um, with a capital I, even that never gets talked about. So. If that's the case, then the very plain story of of like a suburban Asian American kid is obviously not going to be valued, especially if it's all Asian. Yeah. Like maybe if you can put it in the context with like other like white characters or whatever, maybe. Especially nowadays, uh, you know, the whole like diversity thing that might work. But I I think still, uh, it like an all like a story like this set in America. Um, probably would still be. It might be accepted, but I think the bigger problem is the people who would write it don't even think it's worth writing, which I think is the biggest obstacle. Um, there's that. I feel like it's like uh Asian American material. It's like they always want you to write something really provocative or like outlandish. You know, yeah, sad, yeah, uh, tragic, yeah, or... or like some like horrible family problem where the person, you know, the main character is like trying to get away from the Asian community or Asianness mm-hmm. itself, and then th- it becomes about race instead of the person, and it becomes about um, assimilation or like um, yeah, yeah, or like trying to get away from your ethnicity. And, like, that's not, uh, if that's the only narrative we have, like, that's kind of fucked up. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we're not even allowed to, like, have our own um, stories. They're just stories. They're just everyday mm-hmm. stories. Actually, there's a there's a book I like. It's called Free Food for Millionaires by Min Jin Lee. I'm actually working on an article uh, to publish. But I think it's one of those rare Asian-American stories in which, like almost all the characters are Asian American. Um, you have multiple generations of Asian Americans, whether it's like the, the 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 more elderly to the younger ones, and it's. I don't think you can like a, a honest story about Asian Americans, especially second generation Americans. You can't avoid talking about assimilation and the pressures of it, because then it it just becomes a unrealistic story in which. Asian Americans live in this fantasy land where those pressures don't exist at all. But the book is, I think, presents it more critically than a more stereotypical story where it's about these backwards uh, Asian parents from like Queens and and their and their liberated Americanized children must uh, escape them. And that that's like the arc of the story. It, it's much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a book I appreciate. But it, that kind of story is indeed very rare. Yeah. Uh, which is why we often have to look to like Asian stories and, and try to identify more with the characters like Shizuku, uh, as opposed to most Asian American uh, protagonists. Right. I really like this movie called Saving Face. I don't know. I've if you've heard seen of it. it. It's like some indie movie from maybe uh, ten years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the woman who uh, wrote it and directed it, she was actually in tech, and like she wrote. You know, she wanted to be a movie maker. She quit her job at Microsoft, like wrote this screenplay, learned how to direct. And then five years later, she's like making this movie with Will Smith. And it's like amazing. It's like um, her coming out story. 
but it's set in um, Flushing and it's set within like the Chinese American community there. And it's just a coming out story in the Chinese American community, but it's not about like anything else. It's just kind of, and it's like also very loving, you know, uh, mm-hmm. toward like the, the women and, and the men. And, like, the whole family and community, you know? It's not like she's trying to escape anything. It's just, like, finding love and acceptance within that. And I think that's, like, really sweet and, like, a powerful movie. And I've honestly, like, never seen anything like it before or after. Oh, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. It is something that um, I've heard of before. But do you know where to get it? Is it... Um... Oh, it, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Like, you can watch it for oh, free. Oh, damn. I just... I just well no I I still have it until December fifth I just quit it to uh in uh, defiance of uh you know their impending San Franciscoization of New York City oh yeah you uh, totally so. should I mean I am too but I already paid for a year so I'm like okay I'll just be on it for the year and then I'll quit <laughs> yeah I mean at this point if you already pay for it and and you're not actually using it then you're just yeah losing money yeah it's like when i go to a like a cvs and they have like those like two dorito bags for like five dollars i'm like oh i'm losing money if i don't buy this so i gotta buy it mm-hmm. <laughs> um cool yeah. uh any closing thoughts yeah uh i actually think that this movie is super like feminist too you know it's like oh yeah um, for sure the, you know, like everybody, like all the women are studying or working and it's just kind of expected. And like, even though it's a love story, like a, like a preteen love story, like the story is more about like her and her finding herself than finding like acceptance in a boy, which I think a lot of young adult stuff out there is kind of more like that. Like, um, yeah, like to all the boys I've loved before. That's literally just like like a crush <laughs> and like seeking the crush and then like it resolving when that person like loves her back and like the it's understood like pretty early on that they care about each other, the main character and her love interest. And that is like the jumping off point to her finding herself. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I would even say that the the love story is actually just a plot device to get because she needs a reason to suddenly want to write a story. Right, and yeah. Seji is that impetus because she sees that this guy who's her age knows what he wants to do and she uh, is inspired uh, by that. Yeah, um, usually it's the other way around. Like, oh, this woman has an interest in something and it leads to her finding her Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah, a very good point, yeah. Uh, I know that Miyazaki has had like an obsession with Anne of Green Gables. Like he worked on like an anime version of a movie, I think in the late 70s. I do see a lot of like inspiration from that. I think Shizuku does share a lot of qualities with Anne, like this vivid yeah. imagination and all that. And um, Seiji is, is similar to like the Gilbert Blythe character in that mm-hmm. he is someone that pushes her. Uh, yeah, pushes like, her uh, buttons. To, in that way too, yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't make her hit him over the head with a slate, <laughs> but yeah, the way they um interact at first is like that. But she, uh, he also pushes her uh, to be to accomplish all the things she wants to do, which is similar yeah. to I think the the relationship between Anne and Gilbert in Anne of Green Gables. So, uh, if yeah, I I think there's a um I think 
there's a link to that because I know Miyazaki uh, is a big fan of that story, and and I, I really love that story as well. Yeah, and, me too. That's awesome. Uh, so some random thoughts. Uh, I, I love how the movie, as I said, is is a very ordinary story, but it does take advantage of various uh, like aerial shots because uh, like the place she lives in is is it has like all these like overpasses. Uh, which lets you look down on the city, so that that actually adds a kind of magical element. Especially like uh, the the old antique store, it's mm-hmm. like on the side of a mountain. So she, when actually Seiji takes it to the back at the balcony area, you it it, it does seem like a flying castle, and uh, and that is uh, I thought a nice touch that lends a bit of magic to what is an otherwise ordinary story. Yeah, I just love talking about this movie, and but the thing is, very few people have watched it. Uh, the people who love it love it, but uh, most of the time when I tell people this is my favorite movie, they, they they don't quite know what I'm talking about. So it's so nice to meet somebody who likes it as much as I do and can have at least uh, an hour. I'm sure we could even talk more about it, but we could uh, have a a whole conversation like this about it. So yeah, thanks, Diana. Yeah, thanks for recommending it, Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, all you listeners, uh, you you better watch it too. <laughs> That's an order. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think you have to probably like buy the DVD off off of some online store. It, it is not the most easily obtained, but it is a masterpiece. Very underrated movie, and it really needs to be shown more. Um, it's it's really just so perfect in every single way. Great music too. It actually mm-hmm. the the score wasn't composed by Joe Hisaishi, who does most of uh the Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, is composed by this guy named Yuji Nomi. But again, beautiful, uh, beautiful soundtrack. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, th- thanks for joining me. This was such a good talk. Thanks. Hey everyone, so thank you for listening to this special midweek episode between Diana and me uh, about the Studio Ghibli movie, Whisper of the Heart. Um, If you like our podcast, please go to iTunes and give us five stars, follow us on SoundCloud, uh, or whatever like uh, pod service you use. And hey, go read our articles at www.planamag.com. So until next time, see you, see you everyone.